You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and these are Daniel Howitt's interviews with the star from All Quiet on the Western Front, Felix Cramero, his co-star and the executive producer, Daniel Gould, producer, Malte Grunert, and composer, Volker Bertelman. Felix, Daniel, Malta, thank you so much for talking with me about one of the best movies of the year, All Quiet on the Western Front. I want to start with Felix. You've been in theater for years, but this is your first ever film role. And what a role to make your debut. Uh, you could have gone a little easier, I feel like, uh, to a simpler role. But this role is so extremely intense physically and emotionally. So uh, when you got the call that, yes, you were getting this role, how did you start preparing yourself for such an intense role? Oh, it was, um, that was something. <laughs> because, you know, you get the phone call and they tell you, uh, it was a, a conference uh, phone call with Malte and Edwards Berger, our director. And they called me to tell me I got the role. And then I celebrated. And then the celebration lasts for five seconds. And um, then you realize, oh, God, now I really have to do that. <laughs> and the pressure builds up. And um, I started preparing. Um, I prepared for about half a year. And it was mostly physical training. And on the other hand, I watched many films from that time, from the beginning of the 20th century, um, watched pictures and um, listened to audio files from the time. But what really helped me most was um, there is an archive online with a lot of letters from the front, from the First World War. And I read around two and a half thousand letters from that time. And it's amazing and heartbreaking if you read those letters and you see the handwriting of the people and the letters were censored and you get a taste of what it must have been to be a human in that time. I, I actually remember, just just, a, just as a quick addition, I remember Felix giving me a call saying, listen, so I'll be, so I'll be carrying a rifle most of the time and I don't want to be distracted <clears throat> with handling that. So... And and that was probably like three months before we 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 went, all went to the Czech Republic. And he said, "Is there any way of getting me a rifle to Vienna so that I can just, when I watch TV with my girlfriend in the evening, I can start sort of taking it apart and putting it back together?" Um, and 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 we did send you a rifle. Yeah, it was really weird because it, they sent it to the theater because it might have been weird to send a, a rifle to a private person. <laughs> Um, so they sent it to the theater and then I went to the theater <laughs> to the entry and um, <laughs> there was a there was a box do you have a box for me yeah yeah what's in there oh it I think it's just some kind of I don't know <laughs> I went back and then there was a rifle on my sofa for three months and I was sitting there watching news and uh, series just building it up putting it back together and it really helped to get used to it and get into a routine where it's some kind, even it feels like an extension of your body. Did you practice like walking around town? Did you raise, raise alarms with having? 
<laughs> because you know in Europe uh, or especially in in Austria it's not really common to see people with uh, guns so um, I would have raised some alarm there <laughs> oh there's the weirdo again the, the weirdo with the rifle <laughs> Well, Malta, I understand uh, that it was it was you, it was your your partner who first suggested Felix for this role, and I know you auditioned hundreds still. Uh, but what made you certain that Felix was the right person for such a demanding role? Oh, I had um, my my uh, I mean, my wife. She was working in Vienna at the theater, and she um, and 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 she had also seen uh, Felix in uh, in drama school, sort of, and, and suggested that he became part of the ensemble in in Vienna, and then. And, and she kept on talking about this fantastic young actor. And and I went to see Felix on stage and um, he clearly had a uh, sort of presence on stage, um, sort of even in his first year among, you know, playing among sort of seasoned stage veterans and and having taking the same space and having the same authority and and the same visibility so so to me his his incredible talent was was obvious and um and I actually sent a picture of Felix very very early to Edward who was still working on on adapting the script into a German version and I said here I think this is you know this could be Paul Boimer um and so so Edward had it on his screen um or or next to his screen as he was as he was writing and to me I just never had I just never had a question really and I remember sort of Felix had a premiere um of a production in Vienna and um and I went sort of backstage um and uh, in his dressing room and we were sort of sitting there and chatting after the premiere and and I said I I, I want to be cautious and sort of you know not be so but watch this space there might be something coming your way and um and I, and I couldn't be happier that it actually worked out and that I mean sort of and then Felix came to the auditions and it was sort of then it became clear to everybody else who hadn't seen him this book has obviously been adapted a number of times, um, but mm -hmm. this is the first time that it's been adapted in German. Why, why do you think it's taken almost 100 years for this for this book to be uh, adapted for German audiences? Well, I mean, when it was adapted for the for the very first time, obviously, it was only three years later that the book was um, was was banned in Germany and, you know, and burnt. Um and and then one thing in 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 sort of in in german's perspective on history is that the second world war really overshadows um world war 1 and unlike sort of you know france and 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 the uk have a slightly different perspective they they do see the relationship of the two wars and basically see it as one ongoing conflict much clearer than Germans. I mean, sort of um, for, for Germany, the the shame and guilt about the atrocities of World War II are so overpowering that um that does stand in the way of of looking at World War One and and um and and how this European catastrophe actually started. Um but and, and and I think that's one of the reasons why 
why the why sort of a film about World War One wasn't really on the forefront of um, of of the thoughts of many people, um, and that is also the reason why <clears throat> why we felt that this additional sort of story strain about the armistice negotiations and um, and and Daniel's role as Matthias Erzberger was such a uh, worthwhile addition to to the novel because that actually does connect uh world war one to the rise of fascism in germany and um and and sort of and and is a leading sort of leads into into the next disaster which comes only you know a decade a decade and a half after after the end of world war one yeah yeah and and Daniel, you made a number of war films, but what made All Quiet on the Western Front stand out for you, not only to star in, but also executive produce? Um, I guess it's the uh, the quality of the book that it's based on. Um, the, um, the essence of it being really, truly uh, an anti-war tale that is still so powerful and timeless when you read it. The language is very modern. It touches you, it moves you, it... it um, uh, it impresses you. You you can't help it. It's, it's one of the books that uh, at school you really wanted to read. You didn't feel uh, as a student that you would force you you were forced to read it, and it uh, you wanted to reread it. And so did I in my twenties. Um, also, my my father was a documentary filmmaker. He had done a film about Remark, and I remember when he was working on it that we discussed it also at home, and 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 I got so interested in that in that writer. Um, um, and so uh, to me, it was a no brainer when uh, Malte uh, called me and said, "Well, there's a new adaptation, but we should do it in 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 German and tell it from our uh, perspective." And it was a learning process for me, too, because um, I did not know that much about uh, Matthias Erzberger, to be honest. And I don't remember that at school we discussed that uh, intensely, you know, what what uh, the the um, the importance of that man in German history and, and, and politics. It was an admirable figure, uh, a guy from the from the uh, south, uh, provincial politician, a devoted Catholic Christian with a strong morality and values and, and convictions. And he um, climbed up the ladder and ended up in 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 Berlin, being a very important um, uh, minister and being targeted throughout his career uh, because he was opposing against, for example, the colonial politics of the German Reich, um, and never got intimidated. Um, and to portray this guy who is, um, yeah, the only human voice there in on that on that train. And it's so shocking to see that these couple of men are deciding of the fate of these thousands of young men, you know, and most of them not willing to 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 give in and to 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 finally uh, put an end to that madness. Did you feel it was important to do research to prepare for your role or did you more rely on what was on the page? No, no, no. I, I read the biography of this man because, again, as I told you, I, I didn't I didn't know that much. So um and um, yeah, and what I found uh, wonderful about working with Edward is that he took the same, you know, um, focus and energy and um, and concentration after having spent so many weeks and months on the on the battlefields and shooting these highly complicated action epic scenes 
to then go to the train, but you could tell that this was as important, every single detail. So it, it took it was the longest shooting days. And you would think, well, that must be an easy thing for him to then go to the train and have a couple of men sitting around and, you know, talking about a peace treaty. But no, it was... Um, uh it uh it, it 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 took very long because he wanted all possible angles uh you know different uh different uh takes and performances so he was really um um you know you we would we would explore the the importance of 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 you know of of this moment and then it made you think it is a crucial moment in European and world's history. And, and that is so well depicted and, and captured by, by, by Edward, you know, in this claustrophobic atmosphere that he, uh, you know, showed in these, in these scenes. So it was, yeah. Well, Felix, like we said, it's your first, first role, but there are so many talented uh, veterans working on Daniel included, of course. Was there any uh, advice that you received, uh, whether from other actors or someone else that you took into this project that you feel like really, really stuck with you? I think it's the whole process um, in, a, in a total. It really, because I, I had no idea about nothing on a set. I did not know what a focus puller, puller was. I did not know what, what a mat box is, what a, a flag is. All these, this vocabulary was completely new. And it's quite tricky to work on a movie if you get the, um, you know, the director says, go nearer to uh, the, <laughs> and you don't know what it is. And <laughs> uh, you don't know where to go. And um, my colleagues, I mean, um, sadly, I had no scene with Daniel, but um, my colleagues from the trenches, um, they really helped me to to learn everything and to get used to it. And um, that was just, I'm really grateful for them. Well, one, one last question before I let you all go. Of course, All Quiet on the Western Front was selected as Germany's submission for the Academy Awards. Um, with such a, a grueling production and, and and classic source material, what does it mean for each of you to kind of be selected to represent German cinema this year uh, to that degree? It it makes me very proud, especially given the history of the of the original film. It's um, the first film was was made at a time when there was still a very close connection between German filmmaking and Hollywood you know sort of the uh, it was Karl Lemle Jr. who produced the first one whose father um, a German Jew had founded Universal Pictures um, there was a clear conversation uh, across the ocean um, it's sort of Hollywood then became a, a place of refuge for um, German writers, uh, screenwriters, uh, directors, actors that that sort of were escaping being killed in in Germany, and and sort of to come to come here, sort of being well now submitted, hopefully shortlisted, possibly nominated. Um, is sort of if if you put it in that context and that tradition, it's just you know it 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 makes me very proud and it sort of and then fills me with joy and I hope that we can sort of that that our film stands up to that. Yeah, well, 
I wish I wish the film was less relevant than it is. Uh, I mean, when we shot the film, we could not foresee that now there's a war in the middle of Europe. Um, so that's why the film is so important. And the fact that it gets this recognition, and that it's so visible, um, yeah, is um, makes me very happy, I have to say, that it reaches, uh, you know, uh, wide audiences that young people um watched it and 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 will watch it you know to to remind everyone of uh the horrors of uh war and what the film shows very well is you know that war is not a cool adventure um war is devastating and war is death and um this is what this film is is about Awesome. Well, Daniel Felix, Malta, thank you so much again for your time and for this incredible film. I truly love it. One of the best of the year. Thank you again. Thank you very much. Wieder mehr als 40.000 Tote allein in den letzten Wochen. Es ist vorbei. Im Namen der Menschlichkeit, ich bitte Sie um den Waffenstillstand. Vous avez 72 heures. Thank you so much for chatting with me about All Quiet on the Western Front. Uh, I last spoke to you for Ammonite, so it's good to speak with you again. Yes. So when you first came onto the project, this is your this is your fifth project now uh, with Edward. Mm-hmm. What did Edward tell you he was looking for in the music when you guys first started talking about this project? Mm-hmm. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Well, you know, we um, we went. I went to Berlin and uh, met uh, Edwards, um, and in a cinema, we watched the whole first cut, which was already very close to a final cut, and uh, we didn't speak much about it. We was we were just like because the film had already such an impact on on me by watching it, and uh, there was already a lot of. Um, things clear in terms of what the film needs uh, in terms of you know uh, having a lot of battlefield scenes but also having very emotional uh, moments so in a way it was was clear but uh, what edward said to me is um, and that was maybe unusual in comparison to the other projects he said to me i really want to have something from you that you have never done which was a little you know it was quite a weight 
on my shoulders but i think it's very very helpful specifically when you work already on a, a multiple um, uh, projects together um it's always good to be challenged because otherwise you think like oh yeah that's an old hat so i can just do it on a, you know with my left hand in a way you know um and so he challenged me and uh, i think that was very very good because i went um after the screening i went straight back home and uh, while i was driving back i was thinking i had a couple of thoughts which i really um tried to you know put in on the first drafts that i sent one was I need some like a, I need a melody that is a kind of fragment that is just like very small that I can change or that I can move without a grid. So I, I'm very flexible in putting it in areas where the music can be heard. Um, and the other thing was that I wanted to have an instrument from that time, from around 1917, and I wanted to or I wanted to find something on 1918. So I wanted to find something that was at least played at that time already. And um, so I went back home and um, I found some answers. That's amazing. In that in that first screening, did he have temp music in there already? Yeah, there was a but the temp music was very, you know, not not known. It was not like scores from other films. It was was much more atmospheres things where i had the feeling oh, okay they won't hear some more quiet and distinct things um there was also a kind of sound that that helped me with some you know some cues in the film they have a filter i filtered music very strongly so they sound a little bit like you have your um you know you have a your ears are not working properly um, so I, it's a cut off cut off filter so you i put i took all the high frequency off it sounds a little bit like music that you hear on the blanket in a way, you know, you, um, and I thought that that was working very well with, you know, these soldiers that are in a kind of very, um, I mean, the, their ears must be totally damaged by the loudness of the explosions. And when they are then suddenly in a, in a quiet moment or they lie in somewhere where they feel safe, maybe then the reality appeared uh, like a kind of damped, um sound so I, I used that in some in some music mm. what was the instrument from 1917 1918 that you found it it was the the uh, harmonium from my grand grandmother and actually that was i i got that as a present because someday my mother called me and she said um do you have some some use for a harmonium from uh, your grand grandmother it's it's actually now they want to throw it away and i said no, of course no don't throw it away please uh um, wait and so I, I picked it up uh, in a small village in Germany and it was mainly used for singing for accompanying Christian uh, chorals uh, like Bach chorals so um, I, I brought it back home brought it back to Dusseldorf and I uh, refurbished it and that was sitting in my studio already for a while and when I came home I, th I felt maybe that's a good instrument because it's also it has this melancholic kind of sadness about it but it's also quite raw and it has a lot of you know machine like sounds because you hear the cracking of the wood and the, you have to work on the paddles that means like there, there's a, an airflow inside of it and it made it already very organic yeah i was going to ask you about the use of of instruments from the time because uh, i definitely feel so often with period pieces composers try to make the the music sound of the period to a degree. And I, something I found interesting about your work here is that there are moments of these kind of 
bursts of of score uh maybe that's an ineloquent word for it but um that sounds i don't know if it is electronic but it sounds electronic Mm -hmm. um it doesn't sound of the period and that's why i think it's so effective what what made you land on those kind of bursts of sound yeah because it's i i used in a way um which i i mean you know maybe that i'm uh, i'm my records are done with a prepared piano so i'm using a lot of you know um elements on the instrument on the strings i put like let's say a a full bag of ping pong balls on the strings and they start to jump and then you create you create the texture on top of what you're playing so in a way that thought is in a way always there when i'm working because i'm trying to find sounds that are have a randomness to it and they they who are actually beyond the sound that you know from an instrument are creating some textural content that in a way you know where you just think like what is this and um so i used of course um the harmonium i i put the sounds of the harmonium through a very heavy distortion and i boosted the bass and i i worked a, a little bit with the analog instrument like an electronic instrument mm. but it's there's no electronic source it's just the and that makes it um you know that makes you questioning it, it what is this is that a synthesizer because normally a synthesizer you would hear but because it's a harmonium that is distorted suddenly you're like what what is that i haven't heard something like that and because it sounds like a war horn nearly the first sounds you know and very aggressive you think that this must be a humongous instrument but it's actually i have a a little i am uh, instagram uh, video i made that with uh, exactly what i played through the distortion but I, I it's without the distortion and then you're like oh, okay that is doing that and, and it sounds pretty thin when you play it by itself um and the other thing is all the bursts of um uh, contra basses um the bursts of um uh, drums i worked with a fantastic contra bass player from uh from berlin uh Jair, um Klotman, and he's um his way of um, playing contrabass is extremely wonderful because he builds these kind of textures. He has a kind of very seldomly way of recording contrabass. So I asked him to to um, to send me a lot of like these kind of snap sounds or snare like drum sounds, and all the the drums in the in the war scenes are all made with a contrabass. So wow. there's no there's no drum in there. It's actually all the bass drums are done by a muted contrabass. And um, sometimes I I put like rubbish on uh, on a grand casa, and then when you when you hammer on the grand casa, then all the things are flying up and they come down. So you have like this, you know, this burst afterwards. So you have here you hear the boom, and then you know when everything falls down. So. I don't know if I described it well with my uh, with my uh, with the sound of my mouth, but it was uh, similar like that. <laughs> That's amazing. Well, so much of this film is about removing any romanticism about the war. You know, mm. there's no heroes here. There's no beauty. Uh, mm. there, there are there are beautiful moments in the film, but but it's it's not about beauty. There's removing beauty from the war, right? Mm -hmm. And how did this lack of beauty? or not wanting to romanticize this picture mm. at all how did mm. that affect the way you approached music which is often so so beautiful mm -hmm. well it's it's you have to find a very um sensitive way of um, implementing something that in in a way gets deep under your skin 
without being um kitschy or you know uh, and the, the the problem with that is that um or the, the way i tried it is to not have two complex melodies um and also using a lot of time for you know for phrases because if you are starting to make the melodies too dense it becomes always a little bit like an old school way of um, of writing uh, music to film which I, I really love in certain period pieces or when you have like a lot of costumes and it's very fancy. You know, I, I really like that there's some, that there are melodies and it's very nicely arranged. I tried, and I mean, maybe you you sense that I, I used actually this first bass motif, which was, you know, the opening. I used that in every piece of the music. It's just everywhere there, but it's sometimes very highly played with a very fragile violin. And it's a like a um, um, you know a, a extension of this this three note theme that's you know is getting longer in a way where I have the, the space for it, but a lot of times I just try to keep it very minimal, and by using filters and you know methods that are not bringing the brightness and the the directness of a of the music directly into your ear and you're like la 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 you're you're humming with it then um the music becomes nearly like a character of the of the landscape in a way it's much more like a landscape and that helps um making it not too kitschy it gives more an atmosphere of warmth or of hope or you know there's one scene where the where the girls appear in the background and i used the choir there but you i could have like it very angelic uh, and very full on, you know, but I, I used just one, I asked one um, lady from London who is very well known for extremely high voices and very clear voices. And I felt like maybe one voice is enough just to give them, yeah, to give them a thought of, oh my God, I, I would love to go home and I would love to see my girlfriend or, you know, a female person because uh, there's uh, the whole film is, there's no female person besides those uh, two women in there. Yeah, I also like a phrase you used to describe the the, the sounds of the beginning, like a war horn. Mm. How intentional did you think of it as you described it as a character, right? It's almost mm. this distant calling. Is that was that what you wanted it to sound like? Were you trying to create this this sort of war horn that's beckoning throughout the film? Yeah, absolutely. I, that was actually the first thing I did when I came home from the first screening. On the next day, I sat down with the harmonium, so I knew the instrument. I just played these three notes, and I was like, this is exactly it. And it sounded so fat on my speakers that I was like, yes, you know? <laughs> I wanted to stage dive after that. But uh so when I when I finished that, uh, I sent that to Edward, and you know that is always a critical moment. Um, sometimes you wait. I wait quite a while to send things out because I'm <clears throat> I'm not so sure if that works as a as an idea, and then I I want to sit with it a little while. With this one, I was pretty sure that it for me it is the idea that I want to use. But I had to send him it straight away because I felt if I'm sending it and he says no, then the whole idea concept of using a harmonium maybe fails. And uh, the first thing he, he called me uh, the next day and uh, I think his family was in the background and he said like, we're sitting here and we're listening to this piece. 
it sounds like Led Zeppelin. Fantastic. And, and we were like, yeah, okay, great. You know? And so we called always when we were talking about the film, he always said, maybe we can use here the Led Zeppelin. And over there we can use, uh, so he was using these band names for, which I really love because it expressed the, uh, here we can actually go full on wild and here we should be very discreet or very, very, um, you know, very like um, fragile in a way. Yeah. Yeah. And there's also lots of stretches uh, with no music. Um, yeah. I think that's that's something amazing here is that a, a lot of restraint. I, th I think of even in really emotional moments, for instance, towards the end when when Kat is shot and mm. Paul is trying to save him and, and uh, he eventually dies, there's no music throughout that entire sequence except for right at the very end is when the score comes back in. So mm. what made you hold back in those moments and how involved was Edward in, in kind of that process? Oh, he was a, a big involvement. I mean, that is always a thing where I think the composer and the director have to be, have to have an understanding, um, a clear understanding how they want to work with each other in terms of you know using music and i have to say uh, i'm very glad about uh, you know that there is an, a will of having just the actors play their game and and just have them acting and just hear the sound of the real nature uh, you know and um, i mean that in that when he gets shot it's like you just hear the the, the leaves and the wind and you and he's looking up in the sky and you feel like Oh, he's maybe that's maybe the most peaceful moment for him, you know. And I think that when you start to describing every single emotion, every like moment with music, it loses a lot of the um, the strength and the um, I would say the you you're losing it in a way as a as a composer. You you suddenly are, you know, you you have to keep up with the emotions, and then you start maybe making mistakes because you're starting to write suddenly very weird melodies, and you know, then you start like giving the action some elements. So I think um, it was a very clear decision. And um, I, I, I'm very glad about that because breaks uh, are important in music, as we know in uh, you know in uh, compositions. You need silence as well. Uh, well, again, Volker, thank you so much for your work on this movie. It's amazing. I love your score. I'm always curious to hear what other composers, what scores they admire. So I was just curious if there's uh, other film scores recently that you've been listening to, admiring that you just uh, enjoyed. Yeah, I was actually listening on my flight to LA. I was listening to the score of Everything Everywhere at Once, I think. It's, yes, I, think I it's just a, talked to those guys. Yes. It's a group, Son Lux. I yes. really like them. Um, they are actually on the same label as me in, in mm -hmm. Berlin called City Slang. And uh, I'm not saying that because they're on the same label. I just found recently out uh, because I heard the music and I was like, what is this? And then I talked to the to my uh, to the boss of my label, and he said, "What are you talking about? They are on your own label." And I'm like, "What?" So I really loved love that one, and um, I also um, uh, like um, I mean the the um, woman talking with Hildur. I like that as well. I'm a big fan of um, you know of music that is in a way as well a part of the artistic approach that is not only music that is a you know in a way fulfilling the music role that is also like having that there's an idea behind it um, and uh, I, these two are appear, appearing to me very uh, very strongly 
It's great. Awesome. Yeah. Well, again, thank you so much. Thank you for your time and uh, best of luck with the film. Thank you so much. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to Daniel Howitt's interviews with the star from All Quiet on the Western Front, Felix Kramerer, his co-star, and the executive producer, Daniel Bruhl, producer, Malte Grunert, and composer, Volker Bertelman. All Quiet on the Western Front has been nominated for the Golden Globe for Best Foreign Language Film and is up for your consideration for Best International Feature at this year's Academy Awards. You have been listening to the Next Best Picture podcast. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, and you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can also lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you'll get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening, as always, and we shall see you all next time. History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the fact from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the Allied powers go too far? in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast, is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon.